Well, greetings and welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Outpost Podcast. I'm still getting used to seeing that. Um, I'm Dr. Ray Mitz, your host, and so uh, if you have never joined us before, if you've never seen the video podcast, uh, the setting may may look a little different uh, because I decided not only to be more comfortable, but also to change the the uh, view a little bit and uh, talk from uh, the... <laughs> uh, I used to refer to my office here in Thornton as the Northern Command Post, and this would be the comm, if you are at all um, a star, a Trekkie, uh, where the, the command chair, if you will, where I've done more things than I can count in terms of writing and completing a book to grading papers to reading and journaling and this is where it all happens oftentimes um so welcome uh, you're listening to the outpost podcast it it explores the intersection of faith um spiritual formation and psychology uh that w- what we're hoping what i'm hoping to do is create a space for doubters, for the wounded and confused, the beat up and beat down, uh, the bent and bruised who feel their lives are a disappointment to God, to feel accepted enough to be known and to know other people. Those are related, which I hope to talk a little bit about tonight. And the, the outpost seeks to be a place where people can meet the biblical Jesus as he is, not as they've heard him to be. And how do we do that? It doesn't carry an agenda with it at all. It, it carries just a sincere and honest um, introduction, I think, for a lot of people. I, I think I have talked to more people than I can count anymore and heard plenty of journals where uh, people will emphasize certain characteristics of the biblical Jesus and ignore others that oftentimes it's informed by their psychology, how they think about themselves, how they relate to other people, all of those sorts of things. So I want to create a place where we can meet the, the biblical Jesus, the one that is portrayed in the pages of Scripture. Sometimes it's not real convenient because he isn't, you know, all love and tolerance. He, he's uh, creating a message and providing a message that calls us to living uh, well, but maybe not easily, certainly in the context of which we live. So the Outpost is the Outpost podcast is the voice of Stained Glass International, SGI. Um, and SGI's mission is to equip, empower, and encourage the next generation to live authentically in relationship to themselves, to others, and ultimately to God. Um, and what I want to develop as, I, as I've leaned in on the vision of um, SGI is what I call outposts for the heart and communities for the soul. And what does this mean? What is it? Uh, you know, I, I, I think that's yet to be seen and that's yet to be formed. I think ultimately in God's hands. My effort here isn't to run ahead of God. It's to to partner with him and what he might want to do in various people's lives. So um, the, the part of the ministry, I suppose you'd call it, or efforts um, or um, 
initiatives in SGI is to lead and develop and lead silent retreats for young people to experience God in a very, very different way. And I'm really excited that we've got three planned for next spring, this coming spring in 2024. Um, and we can we can talk a little bit more about that uh, uh, later in the podcast is when I when I kind of um, begin to close the door and uh, turn the lights off and take some time just to remind you of some things that I think are just important to know about running a ministry like this and doing this at all because it 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 it's not like it's free. Um, none of the platform, none of the um, equipment, nothing is free. And so in that regard, um, it is important. So I, I thought I would change the the context in which I, I talk rather than sitting at a desk um, and being more uh, teacher-like, I thought I would move over here to be able to um, at least create a context for more of a conversation, although it's not a dialogue. Um, I'm providing the foundation perhaps for uh, people to to ask questions and and whatever it is that I'm actually talking about. And so, um, if if you are um, uh, signed up, a consistent follower of the Outpost podcast, you probably will have noticed that I didn't do one last week. And actually, that is very much tied into the topic I want to talk about tonight, because what I want to talk about is grace and. I, you know, the problem is, is the minute I bring that up, probably every Christ follower listening to me believes they know what that is. And the one assertion I would make right out of the gate here is that oftentimes we engage God with grace or with the topic of grace or whatever that is. And there's enough grace to save us, but we don't have a clue how to live with grace. And that doesn't mean just being nice to people. Uh, And there's a lot of distortions in there that can easily be explored, probably in ways that people just don't. But what I want to start with, at least, is to take some time to look at um, grace in the context of relationships. And the title, of course, for this podcast was Grace or Power. And power is the offset. It, is it easier? Absolutely. Uh, I think that can be seen in, in the context of how we deal with ourselves versus how we deal with others. I think generally we would all agree that we are far more ruthless. We would never treat our friends like we treat ourselves. And the thing I think, uh, and uh, I, I don't know that I'd confirm it, but I, I think for sure I would say it in the people that I have talked to, is that the grace makes them uncomfortable. While they love to pontificate and theologize about it, there it scares them because for one major reason, they lose power. We live in a world that is driven by power. And you could substitute another term in there, and that would be control. And so I think we have to contend with the fact that 
we talk a great game about transformation, but we suck in terms of life when it comes to transformation because ultimately transformation um, is is really built on something fundamentally that we value but we don't use. And the reason I say that is that transformation takes time, which again, we are all very impatient. We want what we want when we want it right now. And trust, which is another issue. I don't think I know a single person I've ever talked to over 40 years of sitting in chairs like this talking to people where they don't say that I have a hard time trusting people. And it's not just people. Really, it's not. It's trusting God. And that's hard to admit because we think good Christians don't say that they don't trust God. I mean, the the wild irony of all of that is that there are lots of places in Scripture, people that we would revere, okay? Um, And I don't know that this person comes straight to mind for everybody. But the prophet Jeremiah, if you want a real and raw assessment of his relationship with God, who called him into ministry and said... I. I know the plans I have for you for for well-being and and uh, you know a great life for a lack of a better way to put it um and he goes back to God and says you you have become like a dried up brook and I feel abandoned I feel you're not trustworthy at all And there are countless other places throughout Scripture that the people that we hold up as saintly, as having clay feet, and they struggled with this trusting God thing, just like we do today, except we put a blanket of shame over it to say, well, that's not what a good Christian would do. And that's where the problem comes in. So transformation takes time, it takes trust, and ultimately, it takes freedom, and that's a bigger issue than I think any of us consider. Because if I give myself and take the freedom that is rightfully mine, I feel guilty. I, I, I feel guilty. So there's that part of it that goes into it. The other part of it is, is what do we settle for? I mean, if we say that we want transformation, but we live a life in such a way that it looks like transformation, but isn't, then what is that? And I would suggest that it is reformation instead. And reformation, different than transformation, reformation takes personal effort. It takes precision. You might even put in perfection. And it takes some way to measure it in some way. I, I have to measure. I have to be able to know where I'm at in my efforts to reform, which is really what that's all about. And I'll settle for reformation rather than engaging in the trust that's required for transformation. 
No, I, I'll put it in a bigger context real, real briefly. I don't want to overstay my welcome with talking with the podcast. But in Romans 12.1, Paul talks about don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, every Christian I know probably knows that verse backwards and forwards. The interesting thing about it is, is that Paul leaves out a step that we insert, and that's reformation, because it goes from being conformed, conformation. I mean, in dogs, we talk about confirmation, and it's because do they conform to the standards of their breed? And we go, he takes us from confirmation to transformation, which is a quantum leap, literally a quantum leap from one to the other. Confirmation literally means to be pressed into the standards that, that are around us. Because he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So he jumps to transformation. And like I said, I think what we've done is we go from confirmation to reformation to transformation. And we choose reformation because it's uh, objective. We can see it. We can measure it. We can be precise in what we do. We can, we can accomplish it through a lot of personal effort. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not implying or even remotely implying that personal effort isn't part of transformation. Oh, it is. It is. But it is not connected to the ultimate outcome because the outcome is God's alone and he's the one that works that in us so when you think of the word transform it has a preface that we are all you know a preface that we are all familiar with trans I mean we that's kicked around in our culture all the time today right it's become the the shortened version of transgender or transportation or transcendence, and they all include a sense of movement from one thing to another. You might even say a journey from one thing to another. So the word transformation, just as a side note, in Greek is literally where we get the word metamorphosis, to to change from one thing to another, literally. And that's what transformation is, but it requires trust in somebody to accomplish that in us, not something we accomplish ourselves. So transformation requires trust, it requires time, and it requires freedom. And freedom is the thing that we struggle with the most. I think, quite honestly, we would rather be constrained and limited, then accept the freedom that's rightfully ours. You know why? Because we don't want to do something wrong, which implies our belief already that if I do something wrong, then there's no coming back from it. I mean, I, I, I will be rejected. I'll be disconnected. I'll be, I'll be abandoned by people. And so we seek to do it, quote unquote, the right way. And I think we abandon freedom by doing that. So I want to give you an example, okay? And 
this example comes from the movie um, Les Mis. And if you're familiar with it at all, if you're not, I'd encourage you to watch it. I wouldn't impose or... Yeah, I wouldn't impose the the book on anybody. It's an eight hundred page tome. Probably better off watching the movie. And there are three different scenes in that movie that I portray when I talk about this. And and the first scene is when Jean Valjean is um, released from prison, but he has to carry around with him a, a piece of paper that says he's a convicted criminal. So he carries that around. And the remarkable thing about that is, is that's just like us. We carry around a list of indictments that, that we have with us. But for him, he couldn't get a job if he was a convicted criminal. So he was doomed to a life of poverty and isolation and, and you know, just stealing and, and even more criminal activity, which to some degree is true for even people that have uh, left prison and trying to get into regular life is very difficult. So the very first scene is him finding solace in the doorway of a church and the, a priest lets him in, feeds him, gives him a place to, to sleep finally in security and safety and he basically gets up in the middle of the night and steals all the silver from, from the church. And, and in doing so, he runs out into the street and takes off. He's picked up by the police, the gendarmes. They bring him back to the priest. And the priest says, you, he's, he says correctly, he said, because he tells the police, well, the, the priest gave this to me. And the priest says he spoke correctly. As a matter of fact, you left something else here, which was another, which was a pair of solid silver candlesticks. And he said, you left these, so take these with you as well and go in peace. And, and essentially what the priest says to him is, I purchased your soul for God by silver. And that has such biblical connotations when you think about what did it take to betray Jesus was 30 pieces of silver. So the the movie proceeds. Jean Valjean melts into the background, becomes a mayor of a city, uh, is doing good for a lot of people. And eventually he's found out and hunted down by a, an inspector by the name of Jovert. And Jovert follows him everywhere, tracks him, begins to track him down, and finally finds him in trying to protect uh, his daughter, who he adopts another story, um, his, her daughter's love interest is her boyfriend. They haven't spent any time together, but they're madly in love with one another. And he, so he decides to go to the barricade where the, the boy has aligned with the rebels to the French. And they're part of the bigger picture of the French revolution. And he saves him because they are mowed down by the military because they have no way to fight back. And he saves him, and Jovert finds him there you know, with the group that is part of this barricade. And, and he, Jovert is found out as a spy, and he basically confronts Jean Valjean, who is there as well. And the leaders of the rebels basically give 
Valjean a knife and say, do with him what you want, and, and a gun. <clears throat> and he takes them to a back room, and they have this conversation. And Jovert sees Valjean as he's always known him, as a criminal, as a violator of the law who needs only justice. And Jovert is only about justice. And Valjean reports back to him and says probably the most remarkable thing. Now, Jovert says to him, you will always be what you have always been. And I would suggest to you that is the very voice of shame that rings in our hearts and minds. But then Valjean has learned something about grace. And he says, there's nothing I desire from you. No bargains, no petitions. You're free. And cuts him loose and sets him free. Which is a remarkable scene of a transformation from from a man that is condemned by society and only wants to condemn it back to being completely transformed enough to forgive his enemy and cut him free of that, which is quite an act of forgiveness when it comes right down to it. So the one thing I want to be clear when I'm talking about this, and this is probably going to take multiple episodes to try to unpack, but and that is, I listen, I, I am no theologian. I don't even, I'm not even related to one. And so my attempt here is not to address the theological underpinnings and intricacies of grace. That's not my attempt. Um, what I do want to do is look at it from a practical point of view in terms of how does it, how does it change us enough to live life differently? Not based on what we believe, but uh, based on the things that we know. And the one thing I will tell you is grace is the beginning of our healing because it offers us the one thing we need most. And that is to be accepted without regard uh, to whether or not we're actually acceptable. Now, again, there's two sides to that coin because on the one side, I can say I embrace the, the knowledge of that I'm accepted, whether or not I'm acceptable or not. But on the other hand, will I accept it? Will I change how I live? Will I change how I relate to other people? Or even more so, how I re- will relate to myself? So the other part of this that I want to kind of make clear is grace creates a space for the very freedom that's required for transformation. It creates a space for freedom because it accepts the limits that we all live with. Now, remember, when I say the word accepts, it's not like condoning or, uh, you know, condemning the person to the point that they'll never change or I'm giving them a pass or anything like that. That's, That's not grace. I'll just be really direct about that. And grace also creates the space where I can actually learn a new response. Now, again, I have to accept it to, to risk learning a new response. But ultimately, it creates this space for me to try something new, to do something fundamentally different. 
Because most of the time we change and just simply do a variation of what we've already been doing, what we've already done, and then we scratch our heads for why it doesn't work. We already know this. At some level, it doesn't work. And we, we have given up on grace because it doesn't really set us free we, because we turn it into something we can use rather than live in and experience. The other thing it does is it creates a space for me to learn more actually about myself, not, not to leave me in the place that I'm in, but to learn about my own wiles and my own strategies for trying to control my behavior instead of trust that God can help me change my behavior. And that's literally, that is the trade that we make. I would rather spend my time trying to control and power myself into changed behavior than trust what God might be doing in me that will actually fundamentally change how I live. So it's behavior or life, grace or power. So how do we experience grace? And this is a, this is a truly a sticking point, I think, is we have cheapened grace to be, to get a pass. And a pass to keep doing what I've always done, really, and it's always been that way, and it will always be that way. But that's not grace at all. That's, that's giving somebody a permission to continue on in self-destructive behavior is really what it comes down to. That's not grace. Grace is loving enough to set limits. Grace is loving enough to have boundaries and to say no. But we don't see grace that way. We, we see it as being a nice, warm thing that happens between two people when one overlooks the, the, um, the, the sins, I don't know, the mistakes that somebody makes. But I don't know that that empowers people to really change. So we, the thing is, and I think, again, this is a key to understand, is that we experience grace as the ability to change. That doesn't mean we will, but we feel and experience some measure of hope through the grace that we're offered to have the space to change, to have the space to learn, to have the space to just be free and try something really new. The pro- Again, the problem is, is trying something new always requires risk, not changing there's never risk not changing. And that's usually why we stay put, because we want to reduce risk rather than grow when it comes right down to it. The other thing is, is we experience grace as gratitude, which the root of that word, grateful gratitude, is grace. And it gives us a sense of how much of our lives are a gift And they are born from the gracious, lavish generosity of God. And so, how do we experience it? We experience it as hope to change. We experience it as 
gratitude and seeing life as the gift that it is. And that doesn't mean it has to be syrupy rainbows and unicorns about life. Because there's a really gritty, bloody part of life that we live in all the time. That's exactly what I was living in last week. And I got overwhelmed by the tsunami of emotions and things that came up that there was no grace in. None. It was all, you know, that this... no, let me let me put a qualifier on this when I say it. Because when I say it, it's not to engender pity. But it is to be clear about where I was, and that was the shame to think it's because I'm part of this that this thing isn't working. That's one of the deepest, most powerful demons I have that I fight in even creating a ministry like this. I, it took a lot to get me here. Kicking and screaming, I might add. And so the whole idea of trying to do something like this is the hope for change is hard to embrace because hope requires risk. The risk that it may not work. And so there's also the part about that, that grace creates a space for growth. And the reason I say that is just look at, I'm, I'm teaching a new class this semester. It's on lifespan development. And one of the things that I point out to the students there is that children grow up knowing nothing but grace. It isn't until later that they begin to compute that something is lacking in that in terms of how people interact with them. And there are some things that are good and there are some things that are bad. And if it's bad, you hide it. And if it's good, you accentuate it. And so grace encourages us to take the risk to try something new. It allows us the space to make mistakes. Not mistakes to pile on a bunch of shame, but mistakes to be able to refine our efforts to make the changes that we're looking for. The one thing we will all know, we all know, but we do little to embrace, and that is there will always be failures in learning. Those two things go together. Failures in learning. That's the only way I learn. Doing it right, quote-unquote right, every time. See, we moralize this stuff. But doing something right doesn't necessarily result in growth. But doing something and making a mistake and not piling on and learn from those mistakes and try it again is driven by grace. And so <clears throat> the, the other thing I'll mention is the connection between grace and forgiveness. And this is, forgiveness is a really touchy subject in Christians, even though it is the center, it's the cornerstone of our faith. Because forgiveness is required because we expect weakness and limits in each other. 
That's not a condemnation. That's just a recognition of it. So we understand the level of our own forgiveness. We oftentimes can't, I should say, understand the level of our own forgiveness because we always add shame to it. There's something fundamentally wrong rather than forgiveness setting me free to do something different. And so grace helps us to realize that it, it's us giving away what we can't possibly afford to, to uh, give others who can't possibly repay. They can't possibly repay. And that's the rub, I think, is we are so embedded in our transactional thinking that we find it difficult, I think, to think outside of transactions or trades. So if I forgive, then you should repent or you should say you're sorry, but that wouldn't be forgiveness, really. And that may be, that is a bigger topic to talk about at a later point in time. Some of all the distortions that have cropped up around forgiveness, Henry Nouwen literally defined forgiveness as love practiced among people who love poorly. And that that's an acceptance of our limitations and our shortcomings and our mistakes and everything else that goes with it. So the last thing I'll mention, and then I'll call it a night, is the idea of grace and self-acceptance. Now, in a lot of Christians' mind, self-acceptance means condoning behavior and and settling for mediocrity. And that's not what we're talking about when we talk about self-acceptance because it accepts the reality of who I am with the limits I have and the things that I struggle with, not as an excuse, but as a base to change. And so in order to accept a gift, I have to accept that I am, I am being given a gift. And that gift communicates my worth. Now, it's not tied only to the gift, but it communicates my worth. And that's part of what grace does for us. So self-acceptance, my willingness to, to offer myself grace makes it possible for me to be offered grace. You see, so I can insulate myself from the grace that people might offer me if I am so covered in shame that I have concluded that I, I don't deserve it. Now, you could say, you know, emphasizing truth, and which would be an inappropriate use of truth at that point in time, is of course you don't deserve it. But that's not the point. It's not really about that at all. So... I, I, this issue of grace in Christianity is presumed to be well-known when, in fact, it is really not lived. And if that's the case, then that's exactly what I think for a lot of people who have been hurt by the church, it is because of that very thing, is there are so many different definitions about grace 
that they bring with them their definition of grace, whether right or wrong. It just is. And a lot of Christians, myself included, don't live up to that standard because we don't know what it is. But we don't even live up to the standard that I'm talking about here, the, the have, having a deep understanding, not a theological understanding. Just, just re- realize something. Understanding is not a solidification of knowledge alone. Okay? Jesus told a parable, and he said, if you hear it and you understand it, and that doesn't mean an intellectual cognitive assent to what he just finished saying. In the actual original language, understand means to fit together, to to make sense of it and to fit it into the fabric of my life. And we see understanding as not only the acceptance of knowledge and information, but also the curation of knowledge and information. And, and then it's, there I got it. There I got it. But then it's completely disconnected from living and experience. And knowledge can't be divorced from experience. If it is, it's nothing more than an encyclopedic knowledge of something to, to you know, impress other people or to pass ourselves off as being really smart because we know all this stuff. And I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I would rather be known by not what I know, but how I relate to people how they walk away and feel like they've been seen and heard. That's the, the ringing endorsement rather than all that I know. No, whatever I know is not, in my mind, really terribly relevant. It's who I know that has changed me. That's relevant. And if I can find a way to put skin on Christ for people, for them to finally bump into the real Jesus, not the fabricated one that everybody loves to to hate, then maybe I've accomplished what I'm here for. And ultimately, to connect it up to the bigger vision, that's what SGI is attempting to do. It's trying to help people become integrated people, people that can be seen and can see other people. And... We live behind a stained glass, but we have to strive to become pure glass that we can be known and seen. And that's the vision of SGI. Being in a silent retreat gives us actually an opportunity to bring these disparate pieces of ourselves back together again into an integrated whole that then I can relate to people on the basis of that. And that changes me. And if it changes the other person, that's God's deal, not mine. That's why, that's why I trust him. I trust him to do that. I don't, I, that's about my pay grade. I can't change anybody. But all I can do is be true to the, to the relationship I have and try to portray it in as honest a fashion without all the extra condemnation that comes with it to anybody. So, 
that's all I got for tonight. Um, I, I, I want to mention a couple different things. I mentioned at the top of the podcast that, um, you know, we, we are struggling to get out of the gate. A podcast like this and all the ancillary services and things that we have visions and hopes of uh, offering are, are not free. And so we need people to partner with us to make this thing a reality. And so if you have questions and if you want to follow what's going on in SGI, you can go to the podcast at sgi-net.org, sgi-net.org, and sign up and become one of the community. And, you know, Lord willing, I, I you will start getting a monthly or I don't know what is every two months, bi-monthly, I don't know what it's called, um, newsletter or email just to keep you up to date as to how our efforts are going at building a base and a community of people interested in building and and developing these outposts for the heart all over the place, I would certainly hope. We can certainly um, have online groups initially. I would, my my deepest desire would be for us to be one-on-one, to have groups that are led by people that understand this vision and understand how to facilitate groups of people to move toward that vision in each other's lives and in their own. So um, one resource that helps us as a support is a digital devotional, and you can you can sign up for it on the on the uh, website at sgi-net.org, and um, it's under paid resources. Five bucks a month gets you four different um, uh, devotionals every one every week in a month um, that talks about healthy relationships and boundaries and and what you can do and, and provides kind of content and grist for the mill as you try to um, engage and partner with God in that transformation I was talking about earlier. So it's called Setting New Boundaries. Um, it's underpaid resources. It, it's five, five bucks a month if you want to do that. There's a um, semi-annual six months or 12 months, whichever you prefer. Um, and that would, that, that would, that goes towards supporting SGI as well. Um, you can find us on, um, three social media contacts, LinkedIn, Facebook, and, uh, Instagram, uh, at, uh, Instagram it's it's at SGI underscore international, uh, on Facebook, it's still tied to my, uh, Facebook page, which is Ray.Mitch, M-I-T-S-C-H, and LinkedIn at D-R-Mitch, again, D-R-Mitch, M-I-T-S-C-H. So you can get this podcast on any of the, the platforms that you typically listen to, uh, that Spotify or iHeart or iTunes or whatever that might be. Um, and the whole idea of partnering with us, there is a donation page that you can be a sustaining member um, and be able to participate in supporting and helping us to develop a, a healthy scholarship fund that allows us to offer help for people that want to be a part of the silent retreats and to be able to do that. Um, and so you can do that on the donate page. So it's sgi-net.org. 
um, slash donate, and you'll find the page to do that. If you would prefer, or if you know somebody who would prefer to send a physical check, they can do that as well. They can send it to uh, SGI uh, and then P.O. Box 322, East Lake, Colorado, 80614. You can send it there as well. So um, that's it for tonight. I will do uh, another one to talk a little bit more about grace. Like I said, it may take me um, two or three podcasts to, to lay all of this stuff out. I hope it's been encouraging to you. And as always, love you. Later. Bye.